Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Joining me today is Sam Reynolds, and we're going to be talking about the meaning and significations of the planet Jupiter in astrology. So, hey, Sam, thanks hey, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to the studio. So, you're one of my first guests back in the studio since the pandemic is starting to lighten up a little bit. Um, when we first moved into the studio, you were actually, I think you and Kenneth Miller were my first guests here in like episode 201 or something like that. So, I think it's fitting. You're back in town to plan an ESAR conference for next year, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, how is that going? The conference is going to happen in August of 2022? We hope so. Yeah. August uh, 25th to the 29th of 2022. Okay. And we're really excited about bringing people back together and celebrating astrology mm -hmm. and celebrating that sense of um, community and connection. So we're really looking forward to, to having that. I mean, it probably will be the second astrology conference to kind of convene. There might be another one into between Norwalk um, and then ESAR, but yeah. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. So seeing everybody, so it's going to be here in Denver, August of 2022. That's in one year. I think that's enough time to prepare. We'll have some like Jupiter and Pisces time in early 2022 to build Correct. up to that. Yes. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay. And Jupiter and Pisces seems to kind of be like very good in terms of managing COVID, at least. I mean, like it was interesting to have that auspicious period between, you know, May when it went into Pisces and then, you know, in July when it went out of Pisces. Yeah. And then immediately we have all these changes related to COVID mandates. So yeah, you could feel the difference. It wasn't. It was like the day that Jupiter went into Pisces. The CDC issued that announcement saying like Correct. nobody nobody was, has to wear masks anymore if they're vaccinated or something. Correct. Yeah, which a little maybe a little fast or a little too optimistic, but um, it was a nice summer at least while it, while it lasted. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Two months. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so our focus here is going to be the planet Jupiter today and understanding the significations and meanings, both from an ancient astrological perspective and a modern perspective. The way that we usually um, sort of structure these episodes is by reading through a selection of ancient and modern authors to get an idea how astrologers have talked about the planet over the past 2,000 years. And then we can sort of use that to digress and sort of riff on some of those sure. concepts for our own understanding. So I know you've done some special work on Jupiter. One one of the reasons that I, I wanted to have you on for this episode is I know you've done work on Jupiter and Jupiter returns in particular. That's correct. And second, um, I've tried with this series to focus on astrologers who have that planet as the ruler of their ascendant. So for example, Becca Tarnas for the Venus episode at Taurus rising, Israel Ajosi for the Moon episode at Cancer rising, Demetra at Leo rising. So you. Are you comfortable talking about your chart? I, I just realized I that. am. Okay. Yeah, I talk about it pretty frequently, especially on social media. So I'm okay. fine talking about it. So I'm a Pisces rising with Jupiter and Virgo opposing the ascendant. Nice. Okay. So the rule of your ascendant is Jupiter. So in some sense, because I often think of you as a, as a Jupiter type character in, in some ways, and you actually were like a former preacher at one point, right? That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so that I think that'll tie in very well, and maybe we'll come back and talk to. Talk about that a little bit more later about that relevance. <laughs> um, why don't we start? I wanted to show a graphic that our graphic designer Paula Bellomini made us, which is just nice. This is the glyph or the symbol for Jupiter up at the top, and then Jupiter's home signs or its domiciles are Sagittarius and Pisces, and the opposite of that is said to be the sign of a, the planet's detriment or what I call it is its antithesis. Which is Gemini and Virgo, which are the two signs opposite to Sag and Pisces. And finally, Jupiter is exalted in Cancer, and its fall or depression is in the sign of Capricorn. 
Correct. So those are the traditional. You gotten away from using Exile? Ex yeah, I haven't been using Exile because I just like um, Antithesis. So I, I switch sometimes between Exile and Antithesis just because Antithesis is a little bit less depressing sounding. <laughs> you know? Uh huh. You wanna, if you're using that in a in a consultation, also in terms of just like the practical implications of what it means for a planet to be in its opposite sign, it's not that it's terrible. It's just in a surrounding that is kind of antithetical to its primary impulse or basic meanings. And I think that can give you a little bit more neutral of an insight into how to interpret that. You're right. Yeah. So, but, you know, exile still has a certain ring to it. Um, all right. So, how I usually do this is we usually start with the second century astrologer Vadius Valens and reading the significations that he gives for Jupiter, which is a nice little paragraph. Um, well, I'll, I'll read this one and then you can take the next one for Abishar. Okay. So this is from my translation from my book, Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune. Valens says, the star of Jupiter signifies the begetting of children, childbirth, desire, love, alliances, knowledge, friendship with great men, abundance, payments, large gifts, an abundance of profits, justice, authorities, governments, honors, heads of holy places, arbitration of disputes, trusts, inheritances, brotherhood, fellowship, adoption, confirmation of good things, relief from bad things, release from bonds, freedom, entrustments, wealth, stewardship. Of parts of the body, he is lord of the outer thighs, the feet, for which reason it also produces running in athletic contests. Internally, it's lord of the semen, the womb, the liver, parts of the right side of the body. Of substances, he rules tin. He's of the diurnal sect, gray and mostly white in color, and sweet in taste. So that is Valens on Jupiter. So, you know, that's almost 2,000 years ago now. Many of these significations are relatively straightforward and traditional. There's some that are a little bit different or that have changed in modern times. But, um, you know, Jupiter, what is our fundamental starting point? Our fundamental starting point is probably that Jupiter is the greater benefic primarily, right? right? So there's the, the benefic planets, Jupiter and Venus, and there are the malefic planets, Mars and Saturn. And Jupiter is said to be one of, if not the most positive planet from a traditional standpoint. Correct. So it traditionally is given very positive or sometimes very lofty type significations of like all that which is good in the world in some sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, so in terms of Jupiter and its sort of benefic status, what are some of the things or where do you usually start when you're first teaching students about this planet, um, what its basic meaning is and, and what its significations are? Grandness, you know, I think, and not just grandeur, because that can also have its negative connotations, but mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, many people start thinking about Jupiter related to the common expression expansion. Mm -hmm. um, but when you think about growth, um, I also think about different other qualities related to, you know, um, what prompts us to kind of be noble and noble. Mm. You know, in terms of the aspiration toward even what becomes greater. Mm -hmm. um, so I think really Jupiter, in terms of you know things related to knowledge, how we um, reach 
and have a capacity for reaching for more, mm. really, or even, because I usually use some images when I talk about Jupiter. I show an image of a guru. Mm -hmm. I show an image of what looks like a, a spiraling case. You know, I think pe many people have used this image. Um, they look like, um, you know, like uh, using um, stained glass and it's a spiral. And I think of that when I think of Jupiter as kind of either spiraling up, right? There's ways you can spiral down, mm. but whatever possesses us to kind of reach for more. Okay. I liked, you talked about the expansiveness of Jupiter. And one of the things that's notable that wasn't discovered until modern times is that Jupiter is actually the largest of the planets in the solar system. It can actually contain all the planets in our solar system. Right. So that, that's just crazy. And next to the sun, which is just this gargantuan object compared to everything else, Jupiter um, is so huge and that it actually affects the gravitation of like all the other planets in the solar system. Yeah. In Arthur C. Clarke's original book, 2001, um, you know, it's really about evolution. And then I believe his follow up to that, which I think is 2021. Um, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to 2021, I won't give any big spoilers, but one thing that's interesting is that somehow uh, Jupiter is set on fire. Mm. Um, and I guess it's a general theory that if Jupiter were set on fire and it, it would actually burn like a sun. And so like when it would be seen at night, there would almost be no night. Mm. It's that big, that powerful. Okay. Yeah, and and it appears like even just visually from our standpoint, um, as this like bright, twinkling uh, yeah. star in the night sky. Yeah, we could see it like last night. You could see it right, and it was really bright. Yeah, that's actually where we used a nice little election um, electional chart today with uh, Sagittarius or sorry with Aquarius rising here as we're starting mm -hmm. on Saturday, August twenty first, twenty twenty one. Around we must have started like six thirty five or something like that. Yeah. Uh, with Aquarius rising, and tonight is the night of the full moon conjunct Jupiter in late Aquarius. Right. So, pretty good chart. Um, so, size, growth, expansion, that which grows and that which develops, because it's also like tied into some fundamental, like ancient concepts of like an Aristotle, you have ideas of like growth versus decay Correct. or coming into being versus passing away. And it seems like the benefics were generally associated with the notion of that which is coming into being or that which is growing, whereas the malefics are sometimes associated with things uh, that are declining or that are passing away. Um, so ideas with Jupiter of like growth and abundance seem like core um, archetypal principles. Yeah, the things that also I think with the benefics, things that we want to enjoy, and I think with the malefics, are those things that we would rather avoid mm. or don't want to deal with? Sure. So, for instance, the analogy I commonly give is that you know you want to have a party, right? So, the bounty of Jupiter, having good amount of food, good amount of drink, all these different things. Venus is also kind of teaming up with the party, but who wants to do the cleanup, right? Right. And then also, even before that, who wants to do the planning, setting things up? Jupiter and Venus certainly don't, mm. right? So, right. Mars and Saturn are probably more instrumental in those particular moments dealing with the party. I mean, especially my moon and Leo is thinking about those particular things. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So the things that we like are things that are subjectively enjoyable versus the things that are subjectively not not enjoyable. Um, so let's see. So growth, development, that which grows, 
that which is abundant, which is opposed to that which is like scarce or having mm-hmm. not, not enough of something like being hungry versus being full or have you know sitting at like a banquet or something like that. Right. So usually it seems like a lot of Jupiter's um, significations are coming about as a result of a contrast of um, what would be the the best version of something subjectively or the most enjoyable subjectively versus what would be the least enjoy- enjoyable scenario subjectively speaking. Correct. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. Yeah, I think also too. Um, I mean, I, we'll probably get into it as we read a little more. Some measure of my understanding of Jupiter comes from my studies of Kabbalah, which is in terms of the Western occultic tradition, mm-hmm. uh, specifically from Zev Shimon Ben Halevi, um, who also was Warren Kenton, who we just lost last year. Um, I I would say his take on it was looking at Chesed. Chesed is more the sense of mercy. It's also where we get the idea of the Hasidim, mm-hmm. right, in terms of Hasidic Jews. And so the quality of mercy, generosity, graciousness, I think those are also Jupiterian traits. Mm. And when we say mercy, it's kind of those where you receive a sense of grace, a moment of grace, mm-hmm. generosity, either from the cosmos or from another person. Right, because generosity like comes out of a spirit of like goodwill and, and good doing, which is interesting because that's actually almost a direct translation of the original Greek word for benefic, which means good doer. It's like someone who goes about doing good things, and that's opposite to, let's say, a Saturn, more Saturn principle, which can sometimes be like uh, stinginess or wanting to withhold and wanting to be sort of have a closed hand about something like, let's mm-hmm. say, financial things. Versus Jupiter's impulse is to um, spend and to just give freely. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I agree. So that can lead to things like generosity, um, donations. Um, and other types of, of good doing. Yeah, and that goes into something I guess we'll definitely get into when I start talking about Jupiter returns. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of Jupiter as a match funder. You know, he'll you match mean? you where you are. You okay. know, a match funder, the idea of a match funder is someone who will match what has been received by a particular organization or company. So if you've raised a million dollars, that match funder will raise another million dollars or give you another million dollars as an example. Mm -hmm. So that way you have $2 million. So he'll match you where you are, which has positive connotations mostly. Who wouldn't want an extra million dollars if Jupiter's going to meet you there? But let's say you've not done anything, right? Or you're not willing to do the work. Right. Then he'll match you with like, okay, then I'm not going to do nothing. Mm. Right? Yeah. So I I mean, and we'll get more into that when I've looked at Jupiter returns because that was the eye-opening planet for me. And one of the things I want to say probably first off as we get deeper into Jupiter, you know, it's been fascinating to kind of track, you know, my career since 2008 when I started talking and looking, well, maybe it was even 2009, looking at Jupiter returns. And, you know, you, you didn't know this, but it's even coming full circle. My first presentation at an ESR conference hmm. was on dun, 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 Jupiter Returns. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, That's funny. Right. What year was that? It was 2009 in Chicago. Okay. Nice. Yeah, Oak Brook, Illinois, okay. specifically. And I'll get more into that because I know we'll, we'll probably venture into that. But um, after looking at now at this point, I mean, initially it was just scores of Jupiter Returns. I would say now it's hundreds, if not nearly Go, going more toward the thousands of Jupiter returns of various people, 
Um, I got more into looking at and observing, you know, Jupiter is more this match funder because everyone, and one of the things I kind of challenge and poke at when I get on Twitter is that a lot of people talk about Jupiter, um, even as the benefic, as always, it's going to be good luck and your mm -hmm. Jupiter return is going to bring good luck. Right. And that's not been my experience. I'm not saying he brings bad luck, but I think there's a more nuanced way we can understand mm -hmm. how Jupiter works. And what's fascinating for me, Jupiter is not and wasn't my favorite planet, mm. even though he's my ruler. Maybe I shouldn't say that aloud. Right. Like a, like a thunderbolt that comes through. <laughs> right. You don't love me? Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's also part of my growth with Jupiter, too, is I think, especially with my ruler opposing my ascendant, it becomes this dynamic, this challenge by which to grow in my understanding of Jupiter. Can I show your chart? Do you feel sure, like I, I feel like we're talking about it? So I'm. Let me see if I have it saved. You should have it. I don't know. You Would do. you be offended if I didn't? I don't think I well, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, I would I'd be, be like I think that would be okay. I think as friends, like if I didn't have your chart saved, that would be an okay thing like, to be. Because like, I have yours. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, here it is. Okay. So for those listening to the audio version, we're looking at a chart now that has six Pisces rising and Jupiter is at four Virgo. Mm -hmm. um, so that's in the seventh whole sign house. Do you, I, I think we established that you use whole sign houses. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, Mainly, especially for natal charts, but for rec, you know rectification purposes or elections, I might use um, a quadrant-based system. Okay. Um, let's see, other placements. Your son is at 2945 Scorpio, which mm. is, uh, there's been discussions and debates about cusps, which you, you are a primary um, person that can get into that because you have a, a cuspy son uh, between Scorpio and Sag. Um, your midheaven is at 17 Sag, Mars at 23 Capricorn, and the 11th whole sign house, um, Neptune at 24 Scorpio conjunct the sun, Mercury at 11 Scorpio. Uh, Venus at 13, Libra in the eighth, and the Uranus Pluto conjunction of the 1960s at mm -hmm. uh, 22 Virgo and 28 Virgo in the seventh house. And then finally, the moon at two Leo and Saturn at five Aries. Yeah. Nice. And I guess we also have opposing moons, don't we? Isn't your moon almost nearly directly opposing my moon? Uh, it's a little later in Aquarius, but yeah, it is the yeah. opposite sign. Mm -hmm. But we share that that uh, Scorpio Sun Scorpio Mercury combination, and yeah. also that Mars. Uh, yeah, Mars Capricorn. Capricorn. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, awesome. So going back to it, I mean, Jupiter does have this reputation for being like a lucky planet, though, and sometimes it's like when you do have a good Jupiter transit, there can be just like a sudden windfall or luck. It's not that that. That thing is like completely untrue, but there are like instances of that. If if, if you're looking for one of those transits that might indicate that, like sure. a Jupiter transit, can be it. Yeah, but I, I tend to favor Seneca's. I mean, or at least a paraphrase of Seneca's definition of luck, which is preparation meeting opportunity. Mm. Right. Okay. And so, what I think Jupiter really augurs more often than not is opportunity. Mm. And so, if you're prepared to meet the opportunity, then it can translate as a windfall. I like that. Opportunities, good opportunities. That's a yeah. great um, signification of Jupiter. Um, it also um, has a discussion in Valence. He's talking about freedom and being released from bonds or released from chains, yeah. which I think is really interesting notions of like freedom. And that kind of comes through very strongly in, in one of the signs ruled by Jupiter, which is Sag, of notions of like freedom and that being a very you know core component for them. 
Yeah. You know, and when we get to Ebertine, you know, one of the things I love too is that Ebertine, when he looks at like the combination between Jupiter and Uranus, he actually put, it's the thank you, Lord. And he didn't say Lord. He said Lord. He didn't say Lord, but I just translated. Thank the Lord, thank you, Lord aspect. It's a, a sense of freedom mm -hmm. from something that has been constraining you. I mean, obviously the Uranus is more the sudden, you know, effect of it, the sudden release of it, but generally- right. It's what Jupiter brings is this certain, certain sense of release, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, like in, for example, a house that it's transiting through, for example, like, I don't know, going through your 10th house and maybe quitting a job in order to pursue being self-employed or something and having that sense of freedom of suddenly being your own boss. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I've observed about Jupiter over the years, you know, looking at hundreds of clients of charts too, is... It, he broadens your understanding, and some measure that understanding might seem quizzical or doesn't make sense at first. So, for instance, many people have the expectation when Jupiter goes to their second house hmm. that it becomes an immediate windfall, right? And it's like, oh, I'm going to get money, and then I'm going to have a raise. And that doesn't frequently, I won't say it never, I mean, but frequently prove to be the case. Hmm. But what I have observed when I you know, grill student, you know, clients a little more, or, you know, even my own observation, it seems correlative to where there's an understanding or broadening of understanding related to your finances, mm -hmm. you know, or how you might think about your investments or working things through. Mm -hmm. So sometimes yet, yes, it does translate into actual boons in terms of financial resources. Mm -hmm. But I think more often than not, Jupiter also brings a certain understanding, and then that understanding can be a relief and even a release. Mm. Yeah, I like that. So even though maybe some of its core signification is like growth and expansion, so it can grow and expand things um, materially speaking in whatever house it's going through, Ju Jupiter also has this other side that's very philosophical and very Correct. theological, and sometimes the growth can be more internal or almost more, more spiritual in some sense. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, I like that. Um, one thing that it's also that Valens is mentioning here that's interesting is is like alliances and friendship um, as being like a positive thing, and and that being the opposite of like being enemies with somebody or having a friendship be like split apart or broken or something like well, that. Yeah, friendship is definitely a boon more often than not. But what he might be also drawing on is that Jupiter is. Um, he actually has high favor and has his joy in the eleventh house in the house of the good Damon. Right. And so the eleventh house has the signification related to friendship and fellowship and the so you know, associates. Mm -hmm. So I think it it makes sense in terms of, you know, being well met, having friends, mm -hmm. you know, experiencing that boon. Um, not just in terms of the general signification of the planet. But then, of course, especially it was true for Valens and many other Hellenistic astrologers to draw on the significations related to the, the houses. Right, definitely. Yeah, that's a huge thing. And then the last thing I wanted to mention before we move on from Valens I thought was interesting is he puts like right up front the beginning of children and childbirth. And in some of the Hellenistic astrologers, they really emphasize this isn't, I don't feel like this is emphasized as much in the later tradition, mm -hmm. the associations of Jupiter with children or, or childbearing or the beginning of children. But I think this might be something that might be coming through like the mythology or something. Because of course, for Valens, he says, actually in the Greek, he says the star of Zeus. He doesn't say Jupiter. That's like our later appropriation right. of the Roman word. But for 
the Greco-Roman astrologers, they're talking about Zeus, and and I wonder if some of those that mythology associated with Zeus, where he he sort of got around a lot, so to speak, wasn't in like the back of of some of their minds when they think about that planet. Well, also I think it's the classical mindset that was true even up until the 19th century, which is that children were wealth. Mm. You know, one of the things that we can appreciate in the you know for those born in the 20th and then going into the 21st century, is that the idea of children being their own person and personhood, mm-hmm. that's still fairly new. Mm. You know, more in terms of how people perceive children, you know, maybe a little above cattle. I know that may sound brutal, but it's also the idea that, you know, children were, you had the expectation that children would help not only lengthen your line, but also even provide tangible support in terms of the managing of businesses, the managing of farms, mm. all these different things. So to have children was actually to have wealth. Okay. Yeah. And and the continuation of one's like legacy and family line Correct. and lineage as opposed to let's say the opposite of that would be like the end of one's lineage or family line or not having extra people around the house to help with the burden of mm-hmm. whatever the family job, family work is or something. Yeah. Exactly, because then you know it, it. It could bring wealth not just in terms of the labor that children offer, but especially if you're going depending on the culture, you know, measures of dowries and different things associated. Whether you had a daughter or whether you had a son. Mm, okay, yeah. So that's one thing we'll have to see if that continues or how long that continues. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, some of the later ones. Um, so let's move on to Abu Mashar. So this yeah. is this is from Ben's new translation by Ben Dykes. He just retranslated. The Great Introduction to Astrology by Abu Mashar from the Arabic. Abu Mashar is one of the most famous astrologers from the 9th century. He was like a religious scholar who got in an argument later in life with the famous philosopher astrologer Al-Kindi, and Al-Kindi somehow got um, Abu Mashar to look into astrology, like baited him into it, which sounds like a very sort of Jupiterian type. Um, and it was at his Jupiter return. Oh, was it? Okay. I think it was at his fourth Jupiter return. That's right, because he like. actually was. I think it was, but yeah, it, I, I'm pretty sure I read that. Either it was his second, but it was during his Jupiter return. And I never forgot that. Okay, yeah. Um. So, so he was a former religious scholar, and you can yeah. see that's come through sometimes with his writing because he's he's famously very um verbose. Like his his books are very long and very. Um, wordy. Mm-hmm. So he actually has a very long excerpt here on the significations of Jupiter. Here's the cover of Ben's new translation of that's that, the great, book. great mm-hmm. introduction, nice cover from the Arabic. Um, do you want to read like part of this, or do you, we, we can switch off? It's up to you. Uh, yeah, I'll, I can. If I get tired, then I'll pass it on to you. But okay, I'm going to adjust this. All right, Did I move it. Okay, yeah, here we go. There. As for Jupiter, his nature is heating, wet, airy, temperate. He indicates the soul which nourishes life. Uh, animal bodies, which nourishes life, animal bodies, children, the children of children, embryos, scholars, legal experts, making judgments between people, acting justly, verification, understanding, sages, the interpretation of dreams, sincerity, truth, religion, worship, modesty, piety, reverence, being God-fearing, unification, insight into religion, uprightness, endurance, and such a man will be praised and have a good reputation. And he indicates suffering, footnote, endurance, and tolerance, zeal, and sometimes recklessness, and haste will befall him, and endangering himself, 
after his being unhurried in the endurance. And he indicates prosperity, success, defeat for all who resist him, dignity, leadership, authority, kings, the nobles and the mighty, the greatness of one's good luck, comfort and delight, a desire for assets and collecting them as well as exploiting them for profit, riches and the goodness of one's condition in luxury and wealth, and his spirit will be lucky in every matter, and his character good, and it indicates charitable giving, generosity, granting, being open-handed as well as boasting about it, being unrestrained in his soul, sincerity of affection, a love of leadership over the people of cities, and a love of those having importance as well as great people, and an inclination towards them and assisting the people in things. And he indicates the love of building and magnificent dwellings filled with people, insight into things, fidelity in one's commitments, fulfilling what one is entrusted with, being indulgent, fun, jokes, beauty, adornment, coquettishness, joy, laughter, and abundance of speech, eloquence of the tongue. Everyone who meets with him will delight in him, and he indicates an abundance of sexual intercourse, <laughs> love of the good and the hatred of evil, making peace between people, commanding what is beneficial, and forbidding what is detestable. Nice. Sounds like a good guy. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. I mean, it's all of the good things in life, and that's you know, very common thing with um, traditional texts, especially when they're talking about benefics and malefics, is they'll tend to emphasize all of the best parts of the benefics, and they'll tend to emphasize all the worst part, the malefics. Yes. So there's not a lot of like downsides here, but I think once we get to, for example, some of our our next author, William Lilly, for example, he will start talking about when Jupiter's not as well placed. These are some of the downsides. So right now, though, we're still primarily talking about what are the good things about this this planet. So we do see some continuity with Valens. Mm -hmm. um, it is interesting again, right at the top, he mentions children, children of children, but he also mentions um, scholars, legal experts, uh, making judgments between people, acting justly, um, understanding sages, uh, truth, religion, worship. So, and of course, for Abu Mashar, somebody living in the Islamic world in the ninth century and who was a religious scholar. Um, some of those things are very much, you know, intertwined in terms of um, religious and legal scholarship and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely can relate, you know, to some of that from my own personal story, which you you indicated a little bit earlier um, on Twitter. Even just this week, this week has been long. Right, right. So forgive me. Um, I was talking about how I actually got into astrology. And I was talking about how it was kind of the shut up a Gemini who thought I was a Scorpio. Oh, right. right. You were a skeptic. I forgot and about that. I was that. a skeptic. Nice. Yeah. So I thought I was, you know, if I had to choose between being the arachnid and being the, you know, the centaur, I was like, clearly I'm a centaur, mm -hmm. right? I'm a Sagittarius, right? Right. So there's a debate because of your son, whether you're a Scorpio yeah, or Sagittarius. Yeah, 2945, right? Okay. In terms of that whole particular thing. Yeah. And how it relates to this, um, many of my you know, key episodes in my life, you mentioned I was a minister, but I also was a professor, mm. um, had taught at a university, at Temple, and also Community College of Philadelphia, um, and I guess at least one other college, you know, um, or, you know, vying for that. And so it seemed that dealing with the idea of scholarship, 
being involved in religion mm-hmm. and having an inclination toward those things seem to match more the idea of the Jupiter-ruled Sagittarius. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, though, and I, and I tell students this, and this is why it's important to kind of look at the chart mm-hmm. rather than just go with what I call sinology, where you just kind of read based on memes and different things and understanding of signs Right. that... Um, you know, I have a sun Jupiter square. I have Jupiter as a ruler of my ascendant opposing mm-hmm. my ascendant. Mm-hmm. So, and then I have a Sagittarius midheaven. Yeah. So all these things kind of contribute to some of the things in terms of testifying to my life experience, what I see related to Abu Musar and what he talks about. Yeah. As well as like a almost stellium in the ninth house, right? With the Mercury. Yeah, with, you know, three planets. Sun. It depends on how you want to define stellium. But, yeah. you know, um, but sure. I are mean, you, I would say that, you know, are you a ninth, four, four planet stellium person? We had no, a, I am not. Okay. You're a three planet person. I am three okay. planet. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I, I think three is enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three is a crowd. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I would say, yeah. And then I forgot, yeah, to mention even the ninth house sun. So I think there's a, there's a couple different ways you you can look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when Abu Mushar goes into that, it's interesting. Also, it's interesting in terms of Ben's translation. There's one particular word that I wonder, and I don't know because I don't, I haven't seen the original up you know, the Arabic. Mm-hmm. There's a word that's used, um, you know, from my studies of the Quran called sabr, and sabr means perseverance and patience, or patience, um, through perseverance, and so that also goes along with the grace and graciousness that one can receive, ideally in the Muslim sense would would be from Allah, Mm -hmm. but in the general sense, regardless of your religious background or spiritual background, Jupiter kind of also signifies that as something Abu Mashar really highlights. Mm -hmm. And and one thing that's also interesting that I, I think people should take careful note of, in the modern sense, Venus has become related to the idea of wealth and money, Mm. Um, mainly through some aspects of the, you know, the astrological alphabet, kind of relating Venus to the second house, which relates also to Taurus. But classically, it was Jupiter. Right. Jupiter was really the measure by how we talked about people having money. Yeah, the the wealth and abundance, and especially uh, material abundance planet. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I like, you know, talking about like scholars, scholarship, but also religious scholars, heads of holy places. But one of the things is just ideas of not just contemplation, but also in philosophy, but also people who are highly educated and people who have deep wisdom or knowledge about a topic and are very knowledgeable. And that goes back sort of to use the term like the guru Mm -hmm. um, or the idea of like a spiritual advisor who is very um, well-educated and very knowledgeable about higher matters or matters mm-hmm. that are um yeah sort of deeper or or more uh metaphysical in some sense yeah i think jupiter you know i i kind of i i have this graph i made where i kind of divide the sun and moon and then i talk about the sun related to the idea of aspiration and then the moon related to embodiment and correlative to that i think of jupiter as related to both but jupiter definitely encompasses this sense of aspiration, mm. you know, in terms of how we want to be better, how we want to improve, how we want to evolve and grow. Mm. You know, I mentioned Arthur C. Clarke, um, who was a Sagittarius, uh, who made even a you know famous joke 
about being a Sagittarius. I don't believe in astrology, but I'm a Sagittarius, right? So, right. you know, there's that, that same kind of sensibility. Oh, he, said like, Jupiter. he said something like Sagittariuses are famously skeptical or something right. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so there's this this the same sensibility, um, you know, talking about even his most notable book, 2020, or 2001, where it is, because when you look at the movie, when I was a kid, I don't know if you've seen it, with mm -hmm. Stanley Kubrick, and, you know, it goes from a boon to a bone, I said, uh, I should say, to outer space. It's like, wait, what? But I read the book, and it made more sense in terms of this process of evolution and aspiration. Mm. So Jupiter is kind of what pulls the best out of us mm. in terms of how we might envision, whether that's through a philosophical shift or a mindset shift, or even more so where we, you know, kind of step more into our sense of abundance by embracing what we have mm. and being willing to share even what we have. Right. You know, I like that, um, and it's also some of the keywords you're using make me think of things that are like far seeing or having mm -hmm. your vision set on the horizon somewhere in the future, and especially some of Jupiter's signs, like especially Sagittarius. There's this um, sense of of seeking, of like searching for something, and always looking to the horizon in some sense, mm -hmm. and that's probably a property that's coming from. Um, from Jupiter. I mean, we get some of that in Pisces as well, but it sometimes ends up going in a more metaphysical or almost like spiritual or intangible sense. Yeah. And I think that can have a tangible correlation, but I think it depends more on getting a sense of vision. So on my drive over here, I had a, the Lyft driver and he was telling me about, I guess his name was, uh, the, you had a mayor named Pena mm -hmm. um, who had the vision to have the international airport that you have now and to kind of set apart and people fought him about that. And he's like, you know, he had this vision that it would bring business and, you know, put Denver more on the map, mm -hmm. but people were really kind of like resistant to that. But it turns out he was absolutely correct, right? right? In terms of what has happened to Denver, it was a flyover city, Cowtown, right. as he, you know, to quote him, uh, and so that's Jupiter some sense, you know, having the sense of vision. What's unique even yeah. about Jupiter related to the myth that's not, you know, discussed with Abu Mushar, but, you know, Jupiter was the, the you know, in terms of usurping Kronos, one of the key things he did that Kronos did not do, Saturn, was he created the first bureaucracy, right, mm. in terms of employing and having his his children and then also his siblings in managing, you know, things related to, you know, celestial, I won't even just say human, but cosmic affairs. Mm. And I think that's also the sense of Jupiter of, you know, where we make space for everyone to make their contribution mm -hmm. and have that aspect of growth. Right. That makes sense. Um, something you're saying, it's making me think of some Sagittarius rising people I know and this sense of like optimism and this overwhelming sense of optimism and that and hope for the future and that like things can and will get better in the future and that sometimes that core sense of optimism or exuberance can itself push them to do things that they might not have done otherwise, which sort of makes me think sometimes of like the secret. And I don't think the secret and the the law of like attraction and stuff. I don't think that works for everybody, but I think sometimes there's people that have strong Jupiterian um, influence on their chart that are able to pull off some version of that where just through sheer 
like optimism and a sense of abundance and things like that, they're able to push through and achieve certain things that maybe not are are not achievable by everybody, but it's almost just due to that underwhelming sense that they can do that or some internal sense that they um I don't want to say deserve it, but that they their hopes can be manifested yeah, in some way. I think hope is a good starting point, but it's not a strategy. Right. right? I yeah. think um, when hope becomes a strategy, then I think it's kind of a goofy optimism. Mm-hmm. It can be where it's a malplaced uh, or ill-placed sense of trust mm-hmm. rather than thinking through things where you might need a little more Saturn. Right. Um, but having the sense of hope and even wanting to improve, having aspiration, mm-hmm. really wanting to think that you can be bigger and more than you are. I think that's a very important thing to cultivate throughout your whole life. Yeah. Um, it's making me think of because we, we, Lisa and I did an episode earlier this month where we rewatched a bunch of astrology movies. And one of the ones we rewatched was Return of the Magi by Kelly Lee Phipps. And he was, because he passed away, but he was a Sag rising with Jupiter in Sagittarius. And that entire project was just very much, you know, Jupiter and Sag and this overwhelming sense of just like, Having a vision for something and like doing it. And there wasn't a lot of like Saturn because you could see him learning as he went. But um, that whole notion of like hope and optimism just like pushed him through. And while if he had had more Saturn, maybe the, the project could have come out a little bit better than it did in terms of being planned out more in advance and not having some of the downsides that it ended up having in the final product, there was still something impressive about just the sheer. Exuberance and sort of optimism that he had in pulling this off um, to create like a documentary about astrology. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It's 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 realizing because then the counterpoint where people say like, well, you know, you know, it where they rely too much on Saturn. Right. And Saturn says no to things, whereas Jupiter says yes. Yes. Yeah. I think you have to strike the balance point between possibility and probability. Mm. Um. Possibility is more the influx of Jupiter thinking about what is possible, and Saturn gets much more into probability, right? You mm-hmm. know, um, this is where, I, as an idea, you know, even though he's not a Jupiterian per se, like we can think about Barack Obama, where we can yeah. go along the level of, you know, he saw a possibility in terms of being president and didn't pay as much attention to the probability. Mm-hmm. Right, but then he defied the probability. Yeah, well, and he's a Aquarius rising with Jupiter in the first house. Okay, that's right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So, so and, and his that's a really good one because his initial campaign slogan was "Yes, we can," mm-hmm. as well as that like iconic campaign um, poster that just said "Hope" like below it. Like those are both very Jupiterian, very Jupiter and Aquarius type mm-hmm. type um, sentiments. Yeah, that's right. He just had a Jupiter. I mean, he's had a Jupiter return this year, so here we go. Okay, yeah, the Jupiter return. He finished that. That second Saturn return was pretty rough on him. Um, was Trump's entire like presidency of Saturn returning mm-hmm. and, and going through Obama's twelfth uh, house? Twelfth house, mm-hmm. yeah, twelfth house of enemies versus the eleventh house associated with Jupiter of, of friends and alliances. Mm-hmm. All right, so why don't we move on to move through the passages to our next author, where we're going to skip through through several centuries to our last traditional author to the 17th century astrologer William Lilly, who wrote the first major English language textbook on astrology uh, in 1647. So I'll do part of this one. So 
He breaks it up into sections. So he says the nature of Jupiter is masculine, diurnal, hot and moist, airy, sanguine, the great fortune or the greater fortune, author of temperance, modesty, sobriety, and justice. The people who are signified are judges, senators, counselors, ecclesiastical men, bishops, priests, ministers, cardinals, chancellors, doctors of the civil law, young scholars and students in a university or college, lawyers, clothers, woolen drapers. Um, manners when well-dignified, well so when Jupiter is well-situated in a chart, Lily says that it indicates those who are magnanimous, faithful, bashful, aspiring in an honorable way at high, man, high matters, in all actions a lover of fair dealing, desiring to benefit all men, doing glorious things, honorable and religious, of sweet and affable conversation, wonderfully indulgent to his wife and children, reverencing aged men, a great reliever of the poor, full of charity and godliness, liberal, hating all sordid actions, just, wise, prudent, thankful, and virtuous, so that when you find Jupiter the significator of any man in a question in a horary chart, or the lord of his ascendant in a nativity, and well dignified, you may judge him qualified as above said. Then Lily goes on, he says, however, manners when Jupiter is poorly placed. When Jupiter is unfortunate, then he wastes his patrimony, suffers everyone to cozen him, is hypocritically religious, tenacious, and stiff in maintaining false tenets in religion. He's ignorant, careless, nothing delightful in love of his friends, of a gross, dull capacity, schismatical, abasing himself in all companies, crouching and stooping where no necessity is. Damn, Lily. Yeah, he is not pulling any punches. So I don't understand some of these because it's like 17th century English. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think is really interesting is he talks about them being hypocritically religious mm -hmm. um, or stiff in man maintaining false tenets in religion. So if Jupiter is the religious planet or, or at its higher manifestation is the religious scholar, Jupiter in a not good condition could be like the religious like fundamentalist or the person who is um, focusing or using religion in a bad way, let's say like a religious cult leader or something like that. Or someone who is not sincere in their pursuit of religion. Mm, okay. um, you know, someone who takes on the trappings of being pious but isn't. Right. Right. More so just to be honored. You know, it's a like it's a hollow point, you know, in terms of, you know, embracing the dimensions of religion. And, you know, as someone with my Jupiter and Virgo and Angular you know, in some of this, I can understand his logic, even though I don't think, well, one, I don't agree with it mm -hmm. completely, but I think there is a certain, believe it or not, a certain wisdom to his logic here. Mm. Um, just to give you an illustration, as you mentioned earlier, I came to astrology as a skeptic. Mm -hmm. um, and I also, you know, astrology came in my life where I had definitely lost faith in the church having been a minister. Mm. And what I can say per related to how Lily has spelled out things is there's a way in which, and I've been in dynamic with uh, Jupiter and Pisces or diff various different Jupiter and Pisces. There's a way in which a planet, Jupiter in his detriment, I think this is somewhat true for the 
Jupiter and Gemini, also in Jupiter and Virgo, there's a particular scripture that comes to mind that comes from Genesis um, that might even illustrate what he's saying here. The snake in the Garden of Eden says to Eve, Yea, hath God said, right? Which is more so like, yeah, God said this, but is it this, hmm. right? There's a way in which you want to get into the nuances of interpretation. Like, is this true? Hmm. So what I, I have found is that some measure of my pursued relationship with Jupiter related to even some of these themes that Lily talks about, is that true? How do you know it's true? Right. Now, <clears throat> I think the folly is if if you just stay on the level of just questioning or not being sincerely invested or interested, mm -hmm. then it can become hip hypocritical or just, you know, kind of surficial and not really kind of finding more the, the depth in it. Mm -hmm. But if you are willing to open your heart some of the things that are also related to Jupiter, I think then as well as kind of going toward an open mind, I think then that detriment can learn a much more honest and maybe even a more in-depth way in which to appropriate Jupiterian themes. Mm, right. I like that you're you're using the word truth, and that's a good Jupiter signification. A core signification mm -hmm. is like truth, and um, people with a prominent Jupiter seem to be those who search for the truth in all manners of being, but sometimes end up focusing on one particular area where they try to find and achieve truth. And then it's interesting that that leads to some of the other side significations, like judges, who are literally people who um, decide what's true and what's mm -hmm. not, and apply like the law in ideally, at least in a, in a, a just way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Um, and then going along with what you said, or even you know, intimated initially. You know, I also was a zealot, right? I was mm. one of those people you would have hated probably in high school. It's like, do you know Jesus is your personal savior and Lord? Okay. Right? Right. You know, it's kind of my thing and pass out tracks. So there's that particular person who becomes so beholden to a certain sense of truth. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's even, you know, term stiff in maintaining false tenets in religion. Yeah. Where you become so beholden to a certain rigid sensibility of it that you lost the spirit of the law and just more the letter of the law. Or there's like an Italian saying, another astrologer, Margarita Fiorello, told me once is the passion of the convert. Like there's nobody who's more passionate than the person that's just recently converted to mm -hmm. some new religion. Cause it's like somebody that grew up in it or has been around it for a long time. It's sort of like they've maybe had time to mellow out a little bit and see some of the positive sides, some of the negative sides, but the recent convert. The new convert is somebody who is just like, you know, dead set on on spreading that, and that this is the truth, and that everybody should take part in that, and everyone should know the truth, and wants to share that with everyone. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think, and and that's you know, when we study more of some of the classical astrologers and thoughts, you know, and thinkers and how they think about things, and Lily is definitely along that. There's definitely a way in which they may frame things. In very speaking of rigid, very key terms. So, like, if you have like your Jupiter and Gemini or Virgo, and you go like, "Wait, am I all these things?" Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and if you internalize that, and you kind of go like, "Well, yeah, I'm not really. I'm schismastical, and 
abasing myself in all companies, and I still don't know what he means by crouching and stooping where no necessity is. Yeah, I'm not sure what that means either. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, he does say when unfortunate. So let's say it's not just because it's not just a sign placement, but also like sect. Like Jupiter, Jupiter is going to be more benefic in a day chart, and it's going to be a little bit more restrained in its beneficence in a in a night chart. Or in a house it's in, if it's in the sixth house or yeah, yeah eighth. If, it, if it's in the sixth or eighth or twelfth, that's going to be mm -hmm. a more challenging position for Jupiter potentially. That's fair. Um, versus one of the good houses like the eleventh or the fifth, or even um, in terms of for what Lily would consider fortunate or unfortunate, is it bonafide or maltreated by other benefics or malefics? Like, does it have a hard opposition from like like Mars? In a uh, day chart or Saturn in a night chart, for example, which could indicate a more challenging Jupiter placement versus does it have a nice like trine from Venus in a night chart or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. So, okay. So, this is Lily. Why don't we keep moving forward? Do you want to go a hundred years, nearly a hundred years into the future? Yeah, we're going that time. We're going to jump forward from 1647 to 1940. The German author Reinhold Eberton, who wrote the combination of stellar influences, which is very short and concise, but it ended up being very influential on later later English authors like Rob Hand and Richard Tarnas and, and others. So mm -hmm. I thought he would be a good. In a source. whole school of astrology, I mean, in terms of the cosmobiological school or. Uranian, or now what is it called? Symmetrical astrology? Right. All right. So, principle, harmony, law, religion, psychological, psychological correspondence, the urge to expand or extend, enlargement, ownership or possession, satisfaction, harmony, justice, constructive inclinations, optimism, a social sense, moral and religious aspirations, the faculty to survey the whole. Disharmony, injustice, quarrelsome, quarrelsomeness, antisocial conduct, amoral behavior, immorality, the craving for pleasure, greed, a materialistic attitude toward life. So those are the negatives. Those so are the negatives, yes. Split into positive and negative. Okay. Biological correspondence, the organ, the blood, the functions of nutrition, corpulence, the liver, the gall, the climatocritic years. Sociological correspondence, officials, civil servants, judiciary, ecclesiastical, and bank representatives, wealthy persons, people of religious and moral character and standing, fortune hunters. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. So one of the things he mentions right at the beginning, again, just getting reiterated, because even though we're now in modern times, you know, there's obviously a lot of carryover here, but he mentions law. And I, I wanted to Touch on that for a second because I, I think that's really interesting when you think about it more deeply. Because oftentimes these days, when we think about law, we think about something that's kind of oppressive or like that you might get in trouble or something like that. But I think that when they talk about law, they're talking about that versus lawlessness or versus like um, they're talking about law in a sense of keeping society well ordered and, and in, a, in a society where things run well and work out for the best so that there's justice and there's peace and then they're contrasting that with let's say like the roman like the sack of rome in like the 5th century or something like that and then just like a city being destroyed and there being complete lawlessness and anarchy and no justice and no peace or anything like that i think that's where they're going when they talk about jupiter in the sense of like law 
Maybe. I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. But one thing I think about as the basis for law is philosophy, mm, right? right? And if there's an argument, and we see this more in the creation of law, and then um, whether we're talking about in terms of legislature, or we're talking about this on the level of, I wouldn't say more in regular courts, but maybe along the line of the Supreme Court. What's interesting about the law, the law is formulated based on you know, codas and particular laws have been ratified mainly mm. by legislatures. Mm. And then by virtue of how you look at the nuances of the law, then you could talk about precedents. Right. And then we look at those those different sequence of precedents to make an argument that go before a court that can adjudicate, you know, what that might mean, which is what we always are dealing with when we talk about SCOTUS. Right. We go to the Supreme Court. That's a really good point, though, because the different Supreme Court justices are often divided about what their their philosophy is, and that motivates like why they go one way or another. Oftentimes, correct. So, I think you know one particular nuance of understanding about Jupiter is dealing with you know the particular argument that one is meeting out related to um, interpreting the nuance of something, and which is interesting because I think. You know, one of the things I also talk about with my students is that some measure of a model, and I have many different models of thinking about how you work as an astrologer, is almost to think sort of like a lawyer, because you're also making an argument. Or when you're studying a chart, you're looking at the testimonies right. of planets as what presents themselves as a particular argument mm -hmm. for this person's life. Yeah, I mean, in uh, the Mesopotamian tradition and some in the Hellenistic tradition, they actually used legal language sometimes in the astrology as if the planets were um, giving testimony about the person's life and what they know about that person's fate. Mm -hmm. And so it was often there was an interchange between the legal terminology and astrological terminology. Yeah, which goes along with the sense of Jupiter, Jupiter kind of dealing with that level of discernment and discretion in terms of ascertaining. What is the element of truth? Mm -hmm. So you know, and Ebertine, especially in that book, and I would recommend, you know, you know, all those books, all these books, people might be something that, that should lie on their shelves. But what I like about Kosi was it, it's kind of affectionately called, and I haven't, and mine is kind of <laughs> worn down. Is that you know he really does get into some essential elements of these particular points. With some novel innovations. So, for instance, it's going to tangent briefly. When he talks about the nodes, mm -hmm. he was one of the first people who introduced the nodes related to like its social component, right? And you know how it relates to people socially. And so, like going into looking at Jupiter in particular ways, because he also talked about urges and functions and planets related to functions and having these particular things. Um, like he talks about a social sense where. Um, that really kind of ties in a lot of things that the previous, you know, authors that we read kind of more talked about in a broad sense, mm -hmm. but he kind of became a lot more um, economical right. <laughs> in his sense of description of it. Yeah, and two things he also mentions that are very explicitly um, sort of negative things with Jupiter. He, one of them he lists in the negative side as a psychological or potential negative psychological correspondence as he says um, materialism or a materialistic mm -hmm. attitude towards life. And then also under biological correspondence, he says corpulence, mm -hmm. which would be uh, one of the things in modern times that Jupiter becomes associated with is it can be 
you know, abundance and having an abundance of food or what have you, but then it can also be excess and like going too far when it comes to absolutely food or drink or something like that. Yeah, I always say about Jupiter kind of going from my own preacherly background, Jupiter can be more about your excellence, your commitment to excellence, or your excess. Mm, okay. Right. So right. that's kind of more so the sensibility where especially at Jupiter returns, you might be dealing more with your excesses and going along with that match funder sensibility. If you are inclined to embrace your excesses, Jupiter will allow you to do it. Be like, you want to drink yourself to death? Okay, here you go. You want another beer? Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but if you kind of translate that, going back to, as an example with Barack Obama, he announced his candidacy at his Jupiter return. He was 47 going toward his Jupiter return. Okay. And, you know, one of the things that comes up about, you know, him, especially he was going toward his fourth Jupiter return, is kind of dealing with this idea of going toward his excellence, you know, defying odds and being willing to be, you know, the president of the United States as, a, you know, a black American. Mm -hmm. I think that's a significant idea of, you know, dealing with the Jupiterian impulse to go more toward your excellence. And one of the things that's interesting about his campaign is versus some of the other campaigns that have come later um, is that he ran a very disciplined campaign. I mean, that was mm -hmm. one of the things, any, anyone who just studies campaigns, regardless of their particular politics, will say that he ran a very disciplined campaign. And I think, so he really worked with his Jupiter return, especially the fourth Jupiter return, to, toward that level of excellence. Mm. But if you're not willing to do it, it becomes excess. Another contrasting example is you deal with Rodney King. Rodney King, we were introduced to him, you know, we talk about him in relation to police violence, which is fair and, and fine. Mm -hmm. But Rodney King also was confronted with, you know, he was high <laughs> um, and he had a drug problem and he kept with having a drug problem all the way until his 47th year of life, um, where he died, unfortunately, in his own pool from alcohol and substance abuse. Okay. Right? He pretty much drowned to death um, from drinking. You know, he maybe fell in his pool. You know, and similarly, we also had that same experience around her Jupiter return with Whitney Houston. Oh, right. I, I was just looking to see if we have a time. I don't know what the Rodden rating is, but I guess we have a time for Rodney King, possibly. Yeah. And yeah. If this is correct, he had Taurus That's rising. That's what I've seen, yeah. And with, I think it was double A or A. With Jupiter and mm -hmm. Taurus, so it would be in the first house. So you, that would be a good example, as you're saying, in terms of just contrast. Yeah, especially dealing with the, the levels of excess at his 47th year of life. Okay. So that's one of your things is looking up um, those Jupiter returns and what happens when Jupiter gets gets yeah. activated and is it are they able to ex exercise the more constructive Jupiter function or does sometimes the downsides of Jupiter sort of run amok or or get the best exactly. best of them? Yeah, okay. that's exactly right. You Got know, it. and I, I still have been working on a certain taxon taxonomy where I think it becomes more important at different Jupiter returns. I mean, obviously, right. you know, and just to clarify, Jupiter comes back every 11.8, um, 12 years. Yeah. So it really can happen more so at your 20, you know, your 12th year of life, roughly, your, you know, 11, 12, your 23rd to 24th year of life, mm -hmm. um, and then 35, 36, and then, you know, 47, 48, then 59, 60. And and so on. I mean, the big thing about 
the 5960, the, the fifth Jupiter return, is that that's the only return where it falls roughly on the heels or close to the Saturn return. Right, the second Saturn return. Yeah, the second Saturn return. So, I mean, it is a significant moment. And so I think every particular Jupiter return kind of correlates in different experiences, mm -hmm. not just different experiences, but different imperatives, I might say, you know, because you're at different stages of life. So how you might deal with your second Jupiter return, it's going to be different as you might be dealing with your third Jupiter return, which kind of is also similar. Similarly, what happens is that you also around that time, well, around your even your birthday, you will have a Mars return, mm. roughly between 35, 36. Okay. Right. So I think there are these particular points where you have to kind of adjudicate how you're willing to embrace again that commitment to excess or dealing with your commitment to excellence right you know arete right you know the idea of where you're dealing with the your finest gifts and that's one of the things i i've come to think about i don't know if ebertine gets into that in terms of talking about it that way but um and it's interesting he says the faculty to survey the whole I, I often think when we talk about Jupiter, we, we talk about the graciousness and we've talked also about the generosity, but it's also respecting what you've been given mm -hmm. and what gifts you have and what willing you're, how you're willing to share those gifts with the society that's made you. Yeah. Um, Diana Rose Harper and I, like a year ago, we talked about sometimes the placements of the benefics and where a person um, has just things are positive that they sometimes take for granted. That's one of the issues with people is they sometimes will take for granted the good things and think that it's like that for everybody and think that and 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 therefore it, it kind of can be a blind spot where they don't realize that that's an area of their life that goes better than average and that not everybody has the same benefits in that area um, as that person might if they have like Jupiter in a certain house and Let's say they have it in the eleventh house, and friendship always just comes easy to them, or they have lots of friends, and that's never an area of of, of difficulty. Or um, the fourth house, and let's say their their parents were both there and and were relatively positive influences in their life growing up, and and what have you. Or you know relationships, seventh house. Let's say the person has never had an issue with relationships, or that's really just not an area where they've had many difficulties. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. There's a word, and it's like escaping me. Um, of I'm trying to think of that we talked about. That's just like um something that a person can take for granted. Um, that is a benefit. Yeah, yeah. So Jupiter returns become a key time to contemplate, which is a good Jupiterian word. Um, and become aware, or where you might be willing to display your gifts, and it it gets nuanced. I mean, one of the things I'll say about Rodney King, Rodney King died maybe a month before his book was scheduled to come out. And mm. what really does kind of stand out about that is that, you know, he had been working on his life. He had been working on, you know, sh wanting to share his gifts, but it was also difficult for him to shake his excesses, mm. his ghosts. Okay. So that's kind of also the the nature. And, I, and like I said, I've been collecting different cases for years. One of my other favorites to talk about um, is um, Kevin Spacey. Mm. Um, Kevin Spacey actually was at his fifth Jupiter return or his fifth 
um, Jupiter Saturn return, but with second Saturn return, but fifth Jupiter return, that kind yeah. of dual return where the story broke um, about him and Anthony Rapp. Mm-hmm. And why that's significant, you know, in terms of just for a second, giving him his props, when I say giving him his props, not just as an actor, was significant about what was happening in Kevin Spacey's at, his life at that time. He had just become president of the United States on his show, um, House of Cards. Right. And why that's significant, and we tend to forget this, House of Cards was, I believe, one of the, if not the first show on a streaming service mm-hmm. um, that, one, became very successful and then introduced us to the idea of um, essentially not just streaming but binge-watching right. a particular show. So it becomes this leader of a whole new movement in television. Mm-hmm. So at the moment where he could have had like his crowning, that graciousness of Jupiter, mm-hmm. where he had demonstrated his gifts, because he was actually very instrumental in producing and getting that show out. Because he hadn't dealt with his excesses over the last number of years, probably between his second Jupiter return going toward his fifth Jupiter return, it caught up with him. Mm-hmm. And the net result became, rather than the moment that would be about his excellent excellence, it became about his excesses. Right. In terms of abusing people. So we need not just Jupiter, but we also need Saturn sometimes to balance things out. And sometimes that's the positive or constructive function of Saturn. Correct. All right. Um, Let's move forward because I know we're running out of time to um, our next author, which is Stephen Stephen Forrest and his 1988 book, The Inner Sky. So Stephen says the function of Jupiter is the maintenance of faith. The development of vitality and confidence, the lifting of spirits. Its dysfunction is overextension, over optimism, pomposity, pretense, denial of negative realities. Key questions What kind of experience will help me feel more faith in myself and in life? Where might I be taking too much for granted? When retrograde, uh, deeply rooted inner faith may produce a very serious exterior, may inhibit emotional openness. And I believe he's talking about when you have it natally retrograde. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is interesting because now we are getting more into the positive sides and the negative sides are being stated more clearly, and it's also being stated much more in a, in a psychological context um, once we get to late 20th century. But I like that. So um, being confident um, having the lifting of spirits and having a high vitality being positive things, but the downside being an overextension, like going sure. too far too fast when you don't have a solid foundation, or being um, overly optimistic, like thinking overly positive and not having a, a pragmatic enough approach to things. Um, pop, pomposity, that's really great. Jupiter, Jupiterian term, people that are just too pompous, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and denial of negative realities. So there we circle back to like you know this. I mentioned the secret and how sometimes pe- some people can pull that off, like the law of attraction and just like thinking positive things into manifestation. But um, sometimes the downside of that can just be like denying and not being willing to see you know people suffering or that some people have bad luck or some people don't have the the benefits or the um gifts that that you might have and that's not necessarily because they're not 
being optimistic enough or that it's their fault in some way or something like that. Yeah. You know, you said a mouthful there. I mean, you know, one of the issues I have as an astrologer thinking about the law of attraction and the secret Mm. is that- This is going to be like an hour long digression. (laughs) It won't be. I can be very succinct about it. I think one of the issues I have with it is that what I love about astrology is it becomes this discourse on what belongs to you. Mm. Right. In terms and that's kind of even more its classical roots in terms of what is your lot. Mm. Right. So it becomes the wisdom of understanding, speaking of Jupiter, what kind of like belongs to you, like your gifts, the pluses and minuses. Mm. And sometimes the idea of the secret becomes this idea of well, like I see something and I can use these particular powers of attraction using the idea of faith to kind of draw it to me. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't answer the question, is that yours? Mm. Is that something you really want? Right. Is that something that belongs to your daemon, to your spirit? Does it it's an alignment, not just with your chart. Your start your chart is a statement related to more so the unfurling, the flowering of your soul. Mm. So, you know, you could be like longing to kind of be a peony, right, when you're a rose. Mm. Right. And so I want to use the power of attraction, the law of attraction to draw this particular thing to me, not realizing that you may be having, you may be along your own particular path that's very different than what you're trying to draw. Right. You know, not evaluating the reasons why you're trying to draw this particular thing in your life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's kind of my digression. But going back to the dimension of faith, what Stephen talks about. You know, it's interesting. It brings me back to my preacherly days in the Bible, where one of the definitions, according to Hebrews 11, is that, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Mm. So I think that does relate to, you know, and ties in beautifully many of the themes that we talked about with Jupiter. Right. Yeah. Faith and um, trust. Yeah. Is another Jupiter thing going back to Valens. Friendship and associates and things like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you need to have trust in order to sort of be friends with somebody and in order to do certain types of engagements. But also faith is is an interesting thing in terms of what that can allow people to do when they have faith in something. They have belief and a belief that it's going to work out for the best or work out well for some reason that may not be tangible, but they they believe that um, in some way. Yeah. That yeah, we were just talking about this, you know, I think um, it was Tara All who was quoting Christine Skinner, and we were talking about wealth, which relates to the dimension of faith in this sense, in this particular sense, because Christine Skinner apparently said at a conference like that you do have some measure of wealth if you are here at this astrology conference, mm. right? And again, she's not making the make this statement like, you know, you have to be wealthy in order to attend an astrology conference. But I think she was making the better point that, you know, to be able to have some measure, you have to appreciate the luxuries you do have. Right. Right. Because there's some people who could never dream of having the luxury of being able to go to an astrology conference or go and take some time off to do something, to pursue something that is more of a leisure right. for them. So I think that may not necessarily manifest as an astrology conference, but maybe it manifests in your life as, you know, being able to have your Saturdays and Sundays off or, you know, so I think it's important to kind of appreciate 
especially when we're talking about Jupiter and what, you know, in terms of honoring some of the things that Stephen's talking about here. Privilege. That was privilege. the term I was thinking about earlier that I couldn't mm -hmm. think of that Diana and I talked about a lot, um, but, but privilege, mm -hmm. knowing and identifying your areas of privilege and where you have that, but it, it's often something that's a blind spot because people take it for granted. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And nice. Jupiter, and this takes us back to Valens, right? Because that's one of the things that he really gets into, mm. you know, in terms of honors, heads of holy places, you right. know, yeah. all these particular people. I mean, it was aristocracy, which I think also is continued um, by Abu Musar in terms of, you know, talking about that. But mm -hmm. privilege doesn't just have to be on the level of like you're born to aristocracy. Right. You know? Yeah, it can come in, in like many different forms, especially depending on what houses your benefics are placed in, for example. Um, why don't we do our last one? I think Let's go. I'll let you read this. This is um, by Richard Tarnas in his 2006 book, Cosmos and Psyche. The principle of expansion, magnitude, growth, elevation, superiority, the capacity and impulse to enlarge and grow, to ascend and progress, to improve and magnify, to incorporate that which is external to make greater holes, to inflate, to experience success, honor, advancement, plenitude, abundance, uh, prodigality, excess, surfeit, the capacity or inclination for magnanimity, optimism, enthusiasm, exuberance, joy, joviality, liberality, breadth of experience, philosophical and cultural aspiration, comprehensiveness and the largeness of vision, pride, arrogance, aggrandizement, extravagance, fecundity, fortune, and providence. Zeus, the king of the Olympian gods. Yeah. Um, I like that he mentioned both back-to-back, -back, both pride as well as arrogance are interesting two little things that he mm -hmm. threw in there. If you have the both the positive sense of having pride in your work or having pride in having done a good job at some at something let's say in its highest or best manifestation versus the negative side of let's say being arrogant that you've done something or thinking that you're the best when you're not or um, thinking that you're the best in a, a negative way that's like somehow morally not not cool yeah and this is a caution i think that comes from the ancient mindset related to the benefics and particularly to Venus and to Jupiter because they can become so bright, mm. you know, especially Jupiter as we're seeing right now in the night sky. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Venus has the honorific as Lucifer, right, which becomes correlated, correlative in the Bible related to Satan. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how it's kind of become more the association. So it's interesting that both of these benefics deal with the fault line of arrogance or confusing the light that they borrow mm. as the light that's just due to them. Right. So sort of like you confusing having, let's say, material benefits with that being indicating that you are a good person or that you're somehow- You deserve it. Yeah, you deserve it or that you're superior to somebody else because you have let's say whatever this benefit is in this area of your life when in fact that's not necessarily like an inherent quality or not necessarily something that you've done that um, you necessarily deserve per se. Yeah, you know, and this is where we get into some measure of the ancient mindset because we were dealing with the notion of divinity and, div and divinity giving us things which relates to really the power of grace. 
Mm. You know, being able to receive something from something that's larger than yourself, rather than it's just due to you, whether that's also due to your quote unquote karma or, you know, how you've kind of dealt with, you know, your, your previous lifetimes or something that's due from your family or like you just mentioned, your inherent quote unquote goodness. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and, and Tarnas is using all sorts of words like expansion, growth, elevation, superiority, magnify, mm-hmm. um, adva- great words. advancement, <laughs> abundance, plentitude, excess. Um, so Jupiter really gets associated, especially with just this idea of growth and expansion as its core thing. And that can be positive things like material abundance or philosophical or spiritual abundance. Um, but then it can also lead to negative things potentially of being overextended or going too far or having too much of something. It seems like that really is a recurring core thing that we keep coming back to over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Where you, you actually, you know, you lose sight of the grace, you know, or even the real depth of faith is kind of recognizing that even as something larger than yourself. You know, that's why I always go back to the sense of aspiration that Jupiter teaches. You know, I, you know, it, it, it's interesting to be a Sun Jupiter square as an example. Because mm. growing up, um, you know, I definitely will say I had my moments where I was cocky and people would say, you're arrogant, whatever. Um, and, you know, I, on some level, <laughs> they probably weren't wrong. Um, but one of the things I learned as I thought about that and, th- and thought about also the, the notion of what is humility mm. and what is pride in these particular things, I've come to a couple conclusions that some may disagree with, so I would love to hear that in terms of people's responses. But one, I don't think humility announces itself as humble, right? I think it's one of the few virtues that is probably more appropriately bestowed upon you rather than trying to bestow it on yourself. Hmm. And then that highlights something, because I I have talked to different clients about the issue of humility over time, and it's prompted this question, how do you become humble? What is the true nature of humility? Mm -hmm. And what I've come to and realized is that the only way you can get to, to true humbleness is kind of embracing that which is greater than yourself, mm. whatever that may be. However, you dis- whether you think that's science, whether you think that's, um, you know, Dionysus, whether you think that's Hode, you know, or Saint Expedit, you know, whoever you think it is, or Allah, something where you acknowledge what is greater than yourself that you aspire to, and and I think that puts you and you're being in perspective. But when you lose that, and you think like, I'm great and beholden to nothing else other than yourself, I think that's where some of these issues related to Jupiter, especially the arrogance kind of comes in. Yeah, um, it also makes me think of, it makes me think of a currently famous Sagittarius rising native, um, Joe Biden, and some of the like profoundly negative senses of loss um mm. for example during his first saturn return when his like wife and family were involved yeah. in, a, in a car accident and his wife died and his daughter died and his son was severely injured and then later in life it's like that other son uh, died as an adult um but sometimes having a profound sense of loss or suffering 
can sometimes instill a sense of um, being able to have empathy for other people. And there's some people that never develop that sense of empathy if they've never had that experience of um, pain or suffering. Because if you've only ever had success or abundance, um, sometimes it's it's easy to have a blind spot surrounding that. Sure. Um, and the other thing, the other traits that we could say that President Biden has, um, faith. And I don't, I'm not just mm. talking about religious faith because I can't evaluate, you know, his faith related to being Catholic and his faith in terms of the tradition. But you know, to become the oldest, you know, um, installed president, uh, I think is a statement related to faith. And I got to be honest, I mean, like, I didn't think he was going to become president, you know, when he first announced. I was like, oh, come on, you know, Joe, you know, go home. Mm -hmm. But he had faith mm -hmm. and and persevered. And I think maybe even from that sense of loss, it wasn't just privilege or it's my time, it's my turn. It was recognizing that he could match that level of aspiration. Right, or or feeling like a sense of like duty of mm -hmm. this needs to be done, or a, sen a a moral sense of like this is what is best for the country, country or or whatever. You know, obviously, obviously people are going to disagree. Just like listening to this in terms of that and different like moral positions and whatever his motivations were. Um, yeah, but it's interesting. I was just showing his chart. He's a Sag rising with mm -hmm. Jupiter. In Cancer, in the sign of its exaltation, in the eighth whole sign house, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot there that we can go into, but just what you were saying made me think of that. Sometimes that Jupiter can be really positive in indicating you know success or abundance and or growth in a certain area of a person's life, but then the downside can sometimes be a blind spot if that's all you ever have is like growth and abundance and, and fortune or good luck in that area. Um, and you're never hit by the opposite, which it, that's what really humbles people is being brought down low sometimes by a, an event outside of your control that um, you know you can't do anything about. Right. It kind of conditions, you know, more the Saturnian sensibility of endurance um, in terms of having that that greater sense of of faith. Yeah. Um, are there any other natives that you think of that you commonly cite as like good Jupiter people, Jupiter examples? Like I just did a search through my files. I'm trying to see if there's any that are worth pulling up that have either these are supposed to have um, either oh. Sag rising or Pisces rising. So yeah, like, I mean, I talk about Bruce Lee's chart a lot. Do you? Okay, let me let's um, see. So Eleanor Roosevelt, um, Hito. Satra. Okay, I haven't looked at his chart as much. Warren Buffett. Oh yeah, Warren Buffett's actually a really funny one that's similar to Joe Biden's, where he has like Sag rising, Jupiter exalted in Cancer in the eighth house, but it's right. like conjunct Pluto. And it's I mean, there's also Rob Hand, who I also like to cite. I mean, because he also has Jupiter in Cancer. Um, I think Jupiter in Cancer. Um, and Cancer rising, and he's a Sag. Okay. Um, I don't know if I have that on here. Let me see if I do. Uh, you don't have the hands? Yeah, I should have Rob. Okay. There we go. So Rob Hand is Cancer yeah. Rising with Jupiter in Cancer in the first house in a night chart. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah, and you know he's a sad son um, with the midheaven in Pisces. Mm -hmm. So there's some dimension of that. Um, 
So I think about his chart in relation to that. Um, He's very like learned, and he will commonly go on like funny digressions in his lectures. They're very mm-hmm. like long and circuitous, but like interesting. He's like mm-hmm. one of the only astrologers that can get away with that because he actually has interesting digressions. Well, yeah. The other thing that's interesting about um, if he can magnify his chart, so I can also see the interesting the other thing that's interesting about you know what I love about Rob's chart. I mean, like he has a stellium and Sagittarius, so mm-hmm. there's that strong level of influence. He has that Moon trying to his ascendant, you know, and in the Hellenistic tradition, this would be insect because even though it's below the horizon, um, what what really is very powerful is that speaking of that Jupiter and you know its relationship to the midheaven mm-hmm. and living that life, he's one of the few astrologers that has kind of been into nearly every form of astrology. Right. Whether we're talking about Hellenistic, um, we're talking about symmetrical, what we call symmetrical astrology now, or what we're you know, in terms of programming, he was into psychological astrology. He's yeah. done mundane. I mean, he's covered a covered a breadth of things, which is very Jupiterian. Yeah, you know, like a wide breadth of things mm-hmm. and being exposed to different like cultures and approaches, and yeah. having a generally sense of um, seeing the unity of things rather than seeing the separateness of Correct. things. Right, yeah. which is something that I think even. What Vedius Valens or Abu Mashar also talked about in terms of seeing, you know, more the the connection between things. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm trying to think of, see if there's anybody else that would be good to cite uh for Did you look at Bruce Lee? Oh, here's like Robert Zoller's chart. Where's Bruce Lee? Do you see it? Yeah, I saw him on your list. Um Maybe more oh, towards the yeah. Bruce Lee. Okay. So Sag rising. Yeah, with the sun there. Sun and Sag, but Jupiter's in um, Taurus in the sixth house, and it's got that opposition. He's from got that Mars. opposition, and uh, yeah, he has that stellium in Scorpio. So, right. Um, you know what? What's interesting about Bruce Lee's chart, especially you know dealing with Mars and the Moon and Moon and Mars being the final dispositor in this chart, is that he has this opposition to Jupiter. So dealing with some measure of his own excesses. I mean. Some, you know, I know he's gone under fire from various kinds of people, including Quentin Tarantino, which can go either way, however you want to look at it. Yeah. But, you know, he also had his own excesses. I mean, he definitely was deemed as someone, even by other Chinese masters, as arrogant, Mm. um, you know, defiant. But he was also a Sifu. He was a teacher, you know, Mm. someone who really cultivated the idea of not just seeking, but wanting to broaden horizons, like even just looking at his birthplace, you know, one of the things that surprised me as I looked more into his history, he was born in San Francisco, even though he grew up in Hong Kong. Hmm. Um, And he was definitely more, he had a very profound, strong allegiance to China and um, Chinese culture, but he also wanted to bring that to the world. So it's an interesting kind of combination in terms of even capturing that opposition with his Jupiter, being Jupiter ruled. Right. Um, all right, I'm looking through. There's like other ones that we could go through, but ironically, with this episode, um, this will probably be the shortest of the planetary series because we have to um, honor Saturn and we've got to get you to a, a dinner with other <laughs> conference organizers yeah. here that's starting in about 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, where can people find out more information about your work? And you have a, your primary website, right? Yeah, my primary website is unlockastrology.com. Um, they can write me at unlockastrology at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. 
on Twitter, I am now Unlock Astrology, right? I used to be SF Reynolds, but right. and on, inst- on Instagram, I'm SF, as in Fred Reynolds. Um, and yeah, I would say for people to subscribe to my newsletter, because then they all get information about upcoming classes. I will be beginning uh, classes on Nitty Gritty One, which is more beginning classes uh, in October, probably late September mm. of 2021, and then also going toward Nitty Gritty Three, which is more advanced, dealing with horse with horary and electional astrology. Nice. Um, around that same time frame, but right now I'm finishing up with Two and Three, um, which is more intermediate Nitty Gritty Two. And then I I am I'm honored to be speaking for the Twin Cities um, NCGR on September 18th. And so they could, you know, Google and find the website for that. And then the um, virtual NCGR conference in November. Okay. So I will be presenting with that with various other notable astrologers. So I'm excited to participate in that as well. Nice. And then the big one is going to be the ESAR Astrology Conference in August of 2022. Yeah. Um, Are you doing NORWAC next year? Yeah, I am. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what talk I'm doing, but I also will be at Norway. So that means you'll also be speaking in Seattle in May of 2022. That's correct. Excellent. Um, those are both going to be amazing conferences. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing people in person. Yeah, in person, right? You know, yeah. this has been great. You know, just to kind of reconnect. I mean, I know that it's still a, a touchy time, right. right? But I think you know, we'll weather the storm. Yeah. Well, this has been a good. Thanks for coming back and being my first guest back in the studio. Thank you for since having me. After right? the pandemic and after the dark times have hopefully started to ease up a little bit, um, and this has reminded me what that's like. So I'm looking forward to returning back to back to normal. So thanks for doing this. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks everybody for watching this episode of the Astrology Podcast or listening. Thanks for your support to all the patrons, and we'll see you again next time. See you soon. Special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, thanks to all the patrons on our producers tier, including Nate Craddock, Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Morgan McKinsey, Kristen Otero, and Sanjay Srihari. For more information about how to become a patron and get access to bonus content such as early access to new episodes or private subscriber-only podcast episodes, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. Special thanks also to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, available at mountainastrologer.com, The Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, AstroGold Astrology Software for the Mac operating system, which is available at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 for a 15% discount, the Portland School of Astrology, available at portlandastrology.org, AstroGold Astrology app for iPhone and Android, which is also available at astrogold.io, and finally, the Solar Fire Astrology Software program for Windows, which you can get from alabe.com and you can use the promo code AP15 for a 15% discount.